Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining me again. My name is Chadwick Daigle, and this is my Legend of Drizzt podcast. It's my dramatic retelling of R.A. Salvatore's Legend of Drizzt series. We are now on book two, Exile. So, without further ado, I will continue on with chapter four, Flight from the Hunter. Driz gave no thought at all to his actions as he went about his daily routines over the next few days. He would survive. He knew. The hunter would have it no other way. But the rising price of that survival struck a deep and discordant note in the heart of Driz Dorden. If the constant rituals of the day warded away the pain, Driz found himself unprotected at day's end. The encounter with his siblings haunted him, stayed in his thoughts as vividly as if it were recurring every night. Inevitably, Drizzt awoke terrified and alone, engulfed by the monsters of his dreams. He understood, and the knowledge heightened his helplessness, that no swordplay, however dazzling, could help to defeat them. Drizzt did not fear that his mother would continue her quest to capture and punish him, though he knew beyond any doubt that she certainly would. This was his world far different from Menzel Baranzen's winding avenues, with ways that the drow living in the city could not begin to understand. Out in the wilds, Drizzt held confidence that he could survive against whatever nemeses Matron Malice sent after him. Drizzt also had managed to release himself from the overwhelming guilt of his actions against Brisa. He rationalized that it was his siblings who had forced the dangerous encounter, and it was Brisa in trying to cast a spell who had initiated the combat. Still, Drizzt realized that he would spend many days finding answers to the questions his actions had raised concerning the nature of his character. Had he become this savage and merciless hunter because of the harsh conditions imposed on him, or was it the hunter, an expression of the being Drizzt had been all along? They were not questions that Drizzt could easily answer, but at this time... They were not foremost amongst his thoughts. The thing that Driz could not dismiss about the encounter with his siblings was the sound of their voices, the melody of spoken words that he could understand and respond to. In all of his recollections of those few moments with Brisa and Dinan, the words, not the blows, stood out most clearly. Driz clung to them desperately, listening to them over and over again in his mind and dreading the day when they would fade away. Then, though he might remember them, he would no longer hear them. He would be alone again. Driz pulled the onyx figurine out of his pocket for the first time since Guinevere had drifted away from him. He placed it on the stone before him and looked at his wall scratches to determine just how long it had been since he had last summoned the panther. Immediately, Driz realized the futility of that approach. When was the last time that he had scratched that wall? And what use were the markings anyway? How could Driz be certain of his count even if he dutifully notched the mark ev after every one of his sleep periods? Time is something of that other world, Driz mumbled. His tone clearly a lament. He lifted his dagger toward the stone, an act of denial against his own proclamation. What does it matter? Driz asked rhetorically. And he dropped the dagger to the ground. The ring as it struck the stone shut a sliver along... Sliv sent a shiver along Drizzt's spine. It's as though it was a bell signaling his surrender. His breathing came hard. Sweat beaded on his ebony brow and his hands felt suddenly cold. All around him, the walls of his cave, the closed stone that had sheltered him for many years, the ever-encroaching dangers of the Underdark now pressed in on him. He imagined leering faces in the lines of the cracks and the shapes of the rocks. The faces mocked him and laughed at him, belittling his stubborn pride. 
He turned to flee, but stumbled on a stone and fell to the ground. He scraped a knee in the process and tore yet another hole in his tattered piwafui. Drizzt hardly cared for his knee or his cloak when he looked back to the stumbling stone, for another fact assailed him, leaving him in utter confusion. The hunter had tripped. For the first time in more than a decade, the hunter had tripped. Guinevere! Driz cried frantically. Come to me! Oh, please, my Guinevere! He didn't know if the panther would respond, but after his last, less than friendly parting, Driz couldn't be certain that Guinevere would ever walk by his side again. Driz clawed his way toward the figurine, every inch seeming a tedious fight in the weakness of his despair. Presently, the swirling mist appeared. The panther would not desert its master, would not hold lasting judgment against the drow who had been its friend. Driz relaxed at the mist as the mist took form, using the sight of it to block the evil hallucinations in the stones. Soon, Guinevere was sitting beside him and casually looking at one great paw. Driz locked the panther's saucer eyes in a stare and saw no judgment there. It was just Guinevere, his friend and his salvation. Driz curled his legs under him, sprang out to the cat, and wrapped the muscled neck in a tight and desperate embrace. Guinevere accepted the hold without response, wiggling loose only enough to continue the paw licking. If the cat and its otherworldly intelligence understood the importance of that hug, it offered no outward signs. Restlessness marked Drizzt's next days. He kept on the move, running the circus of the tunnels around his sanctuary. Matron Malice was after him, he continually reminded himself. He could not afford any holes in his defenses. Deep inside himself, beyond the rationalizations, Drizzt knew the truth of his movements. He could offer himself the excuse of patrolling, but he had, in fact, taken flight. He ran from the voices in the walls of his small cave. He ran from Drizdor Warden and back toward the hunter. Gradually, his roots took a more wider course, often keeping him from his cave for many days at a stretch. Secretly, Drizd hoped for an encounter with a powerful foe. He needed a tangible reminder of the necessity of his primal existence, a battle against some horrid monster that would place him in a mode of purely instinctive Instinctive survival. What Driz found instead one day was the vibration of a distant tapping on the wall. The rhythmical, measured tap of a miner's pick. Driz leaned back against the wall and carefully considered his next move. He knew where the sound would lead him. He was in the same tunnels that he had wandered when he had went in search of his lost road, the same tunnels where he had encountered the Swift Neblin binding party a few ten days before. At that time, Driz could not admit it to himself, but it was no simple coincidence that he had happened into this region again. His subconscious had brought him to hear the tapping of the Swift Neblin hammers, and more particularly, to hear the laughter and the chatter of the deep gnomes' voices. Now Drizzt, leaning heavily against a wall, truly was torn. He knew that going to spy on the Swift Nebula miners would only bring him more torment, that in hearing their voices he would become even more vulnerable to the pangs of loneliness. The deep gnomes surely would go back to the city, and Drizzt again would be left empty and alone. But Drizzt had to come to hear the tapping, and now it vibrated in the stone, beckoning him with a pull to great too great to ignore. His better judgment fought the urges that pulled him toward that sound, but his decision had been made, even as he had taken the first steps into this region. He berated himself for his foolishness, shook his head in denial. In spite of his conscious reasoning, his legs were moving, carrying him toward the rhythmic sound of the tapping pickaxes. The alert instincts of the hunter argued against the remaining near the miners, even as Drizzt looked down from a high ledge upon the group of Surf Nebli. But Drizzt did not leave. For several days, as far as he could measure, he stayed in the vicinity of the deep gnome miners, catching bits of the conversations wherever he could, watching them at work and at play. When the inevitable day came that the miners began to pack up their wagons, Drizzt understood the depth of his folly. He had been weak in coming to the deep gnomes, 
He had denied the brutal truth of his existence. Now he would have to go back to his dark and empty hole, all the more lonely for the memories of the last few days. The wagons rolled out of sight down the tunnels toward the Swerf Nevelyn city. Driz took the first steps back toward his sanctuary. The moss-covered cave with his fast-running stream and the myconid-tended mushroom grove. In all the centuries of life he had left to live, Driz Dorden would never look upon that place again. He did not later remember when his direction had turned. That had not been a conscious decision. Something pulled at him. The lingering rumble of the ore-filled dragons, perhaps, wagons, perhaps, and only when Drizzt heard the slam of Blinkenstone's great outer doors did he realize what he meant to do. Gwenova, Drizzt whispered to the figurine, and he flinched at the disturbing volume of his own voice. The Swerf Neblin guards on the wide staircase were engaged in a conversation of their own, though, and Drizzt was quite safe. The gray mist swirled around the statuettes, and the panther came to its master's call. Guinevere's ears flattened, and the panther sniffed around cautiously, trying to resolve the unfamiliar setting. Driz took a deep breath and forced the words from his mouth. I wanted to say goodbye to you, my friend, he whispered. Guinevere's ears came up straight, and the pupils of the cat's shining yellow eyes widened, then narrowed again as Guinevere took a quick study of Driz. In case, Driz continued, I cannot live out there anymore. Guinevere, I fear I am losing everything that gives meaning to life. I fear I am losing myself. He glanced back over his shoulder at the descending stairway to Blindingstone. And that is more precious to me than my life. Can you understand, Guinevere? I need more. More than simple survival. I need a life defined by more than the savage instincts of this creature I have become. Driz slumped back against the passageway's stone wall. His words sounded so logical and simple, yet he knew that every step up that stair to the deep known city would be a trial of his courage and his convictions. He remembered, remembered the day he'd stood on the ledge outside Blindenstone's great doors. As much as he wanted to, Driz could not bring himself to follow the deep gnomes in. He was fully caught in a very real paralysis that had gripped him and held him firmly when he thought of rushing through the portals into the gnome city. You have really judged me, my friend, Driz said to the panther, and in those times, always you have judged me fairly. Can you understand, Guinevere? In the next few moments, we may become lost from each other forever. Can you understand why I must do this? Guinevere padded over to Driz's side and nuzzled its great feline head into the drow's ribs. My friend, Driz whispered in the cat's ear, go back now before I lose my courage. Go back to your home and hope that we shall meet again. Guinevere turned away obediently and paced to the figurine. The transition seemed too fast to Driz this time. Then only the figurine remained. Driz scooped it up and considered it. He considered again the risk before him. Then, driven by the same subconscious needs that had brought him this far, Driz rushed the stair and started up. Above him, the deep gnome's conversation had ceased. Apparently, the guard sensed that someone or something was approaching. The swift Nebly guard's surprise was no less when a drought elf walked over the top of the staircase and onto the landing before the doors of their city. Driz crossed his arms over his chest, a defenseless gesture that the drought elves took as a signal of truce. Driz could only hope that the swift Nebly were familiar with the motion, for his mere appearance had absolutely unnerved the guards. They fell over each other, scrambling around the small landing, some rushing to protect the doors of the city, others surrounding Drizzt within a ring of weapon tips, and still others rushing frantically to the stairs and down a few, trying to see if this dark elf was just the first of an entire drow war party. Other, one Swerf Neblin, the leader of the guard, contingent and apparently looking for some explanation, barked out a series of 
pointed demands at Drizzt. Drizzt shrugged helplessly, and the half-dozen deep gnomes around him jumped back, a cautious step at his innocuous movement. Then Snurf, the Swerf Neblin spoke again, more loudly, and jabbed the very sharp point of his iron spear in Drizzt's direction. Drizzt could not begin to understand or respond to the foreign tongue. Very slowly, and in obvious view, he slid one hand down over his stomach to the clasp of his belt buckle. The deep gnome leader's hands wrung tightly over the shaft of his weapon as he watched the dark elf's every movement. A flick of Drizzt's wrist released the clasp and the scimitars clanged loudly on the stone floor. The swift neblin jumped in unison, then recovered quickly and, and came in on him. On a single word from the leader of the group, two of the guards dropped their weapons and began a complete, if not overly gentle, search of the intruder. Drizzt flinched when they found the dagger he had kept in his boot. He thought himself stupid for forgetting the weapon and not revealing it openly from the beginning. A moment later, when one of the swift nebuli reached down into the po deepest pockets of Drizzt's piwafui and pulled out the onyx figurine, Drizzt flinched even more. Instinctively, Drizzt reached for the panther, a pleading expression on his face. He received the butt end of a spear and the back of for his efforts. Deep gnomes were not an evil race, but they held no love for dark elves. The Swerf Nebli had survived for centuries untold in the Underdark, with few allies but many enemies, and they ever ranked the drow elves as foremost amongst the latter. Since the founding of the ancient city of Blingdenstone, the majority of all of the many Swerf Nebli who had been killed in the wilds had fallen at the ends of a drow weapon. Now, inexplicably, one of these same dark elves had walked right up to their city doors and willingly surrendered his weapons. The deep gnomes bound his hands tightly behind his back, and four of the guards kept their weapon tips resting on him, ready to drive them home at Driz's slightest threatening movement. The remaining guards returned from their search of the stairway, reporting no other drow elves anywhere in the vicinity. Their leader remained suspicious, though, and he posted guards at various strategic positions, then motioned to the two deep gnomes waiting at the city's doors. The massive portals parted, and Driz was let in. He could only hope in that moment of fear and excitement that he had left the hunter out in the world, wilds of the Underdark. Chapter 5. Unholy Ally In no hurry to stand before his outraged mother, Dinan wandered slowly toward the anteroom to house de Warden's chapel. Matron Malice had called for him, and he could not refuse the summons. He found Vierna and Maya in the corridor beyond the ornate door, similarly tentative. What is it about? Dinan asked his sisters in the silent hand code. Matron Malice has been with Brisa and Shinane all day, Vierna's hands replied. Planning on another expedition in search of Driz? Denon motioned half-heartedly, not liking the idea that he had he would no doubt be included in such plans. The two females did not miss their brother's disdainful scowl. Was it really that so terrible, Maya asked? Brisa would say little about it. Her severed fingers and torn whip revealed as much, Vierna put in, a wry smile crossing her face as she motioned. Vierna, like every other sibling of House Jordan, had little love for her eldest sister. Noah Green's smile spread on Dinan's face as he remembered his encounter with Drizzt. You witnessed our brother's prowess when he lived among us, Dinan's hands replied. His skills have improved tenfold in his years outside the city. But what was he like? Vierna asked, obviously intrigued by Drizzt's ability to survive. Ever since the patrol had returned with the report that Drizzt was still alive, Vierna had secretly hoped that she would see her younger brother again. They had shared a father, so it was said, and Vierna had more sympathy for Drizzt than was wise, given Malice's feelings for him. Noticing her excited expression and remembering his own humiliation at Drizzt's hands, Dinan felt a disapproving scowl at her. Fear not, dear sister, Dinan's hands moved quickly. If Malice sends you out into the wilds this time, as I suspect she will, you will see all of Dr 
actress you wish to see and more. Dinan clapped his hands together for emphasis at the end, and he strode right between the two females and through the anteroom's door. Your brother had forgotten how to knock, Matron Malice said to Brice and Shainane, who stood at her sides. Risen, kneeling before the throne, looked up over her shoulder to see Dinan. I did not see you give you permission to lift your eyes, Malice screamed at the patron. She pounded her fist on the arm of her great throne, and Risen fell down to his belly in fear. Malice's next words carried the strength of a spell. Gravel, she commanded, and Risen crawled to her feet. Malice extended her hand to the male, all the while looking straight at Dinan. The elder boy did not miss his mother's point. Kiss, she said to Risen, and he quickly began lavishing kisses onto her extended hand. Stand. Malice issued her third command. Risen got half, about halfway to his feet before the matron punched him squarely in the face, dropping him in a heap to the stone floor. If you move, I shall kill you, Malice promised, and Risen lay perfectly still, not doubting her in the least. Then I knew that the continued show had been more for his benefit than for Risen's. Still, unblinking, Malice eyed him. You have failed me, she said at length. Denon accepted the berating without argument, without even daring to breathe until Malice returned sharply. I'm brizzed. Breeza. And you, Malice shouted, six drow warriors beside you, and you, a high priestess, could not bring Drizzt back to me. Brisa clenched and unclenched the weakened fingers that Malice had magically restored to her hand. Seven against one, Malice ranted, and you come running back here with the tales of doom. I will get him, matron mother, Maya promised as she took her place beside Shinane. Malice looked to Vierna, but the second daughter was more reluctant to make such grand claims. You speak boldly, Dinan said to Maya. Immediately Malice's disbelieving grimace fell upon him in a harsh reminder that it was not his place to speak. But Brisa promptly completed Dinan's thoughts. Too boldly, she scrowled. Malice's gaze descended upon her on cue, but Brisa was a high priestess in the favor of the Spider Queen and was well within her rights to speak. You know nothing of our young brother, Brisa went on, speaking as much to Malice as to Maya. He is only a male, Maya retorted. I would... You would be cut down, Brisa yelled. Hold your foolish words and empty promises, youngest sister. Out in the tunnels, beyond Nunzabaranz, and Drizzt would kill you with a little effort. Malice listened intently to it all. She had heard Brisa's account of the meeting with Drizzt several times, and she knew without... Knew enough about her oldest daughter's courage and powers to understand that Brisa did not speak falsely. Maya backed down from the confrontation, not wanting any part of a feud with Brisa. Could you defeat him? Malice asked Brisa. Now that you better understand what he has become. In response, Brisa flexed her wounded hand again. It would be several ten days before she regained full use of the replaced fingers. Or you? Malice asked Dinan, understanding Brisa's pointed gesture as a conclusive answer. Dinan fidgeted about, not knowing how to respond to his volatile mother. The truth might put him at odds with Malice, but a lie surely would land him back in the tunnels against his brother. Speak truth with me, Malice roared. Do you wish another hunt for Drizzt, so that you may regain my favor? I didn't stutter, then he lowered his eyes defensively. Malice had put a detection spell in his reply. Dinan had realized. She would know if he tried to lie to her. No. He said flatly, Even at the cost of your favor, matron mother, I do not wish to go out after Drizzt again. Maya and Vienna, even Shanane, started in surprise at the honest response. Thinking nothing could be worse than a matron mother's wrath, Brisa, though, nodded in agreement, for she, too, had seen as much of Drizzt as she cared to see. Malice did not miss the significance of her daughter's motion. Your, your pardon, matron mother, Dinan went on, trying desperately to heal any ill feelings he had stirred. I have seen Drizzt in combat. He took me down too easily, as I believe that no foe ever could. 
he defeated Brisa fairly, and I have never seen her beaten. I do not wish to hunt my brother again, for I feel that the result would only bring more anger to you and more trouble to House Dorden. You are afraid? Malice asked slyly. Dinan nodded. And I know I would only disappoint you again, Matron Mother. In the tunnels that he names as home, Drizzt is beyond my skills. I cannot hope to outdo him. I can accept such cowardice in a male, Malice said coldly. Dinan, with no recourse, accepted the insult stoically. But you are a high priestess of Loth! Malice ta taunted Brisa. Certainly a rogue male is not beyond the powers of that the Spider Queen has given to you. Hear Dinan's words, my matron, Brisa replied. Loth is in with you, Shanine shouted at her. But Driz is beyond the Spider Queen, Brisa snapped back. I fear that Dinan speaks the truth for all of us. We cannot catch Trist out there. The wilds of the Underdark are his domain, where we are only strangers. Then what are we to do, Maya grumbled. Malice rested back in her throne and put a sharp, her sharp chin in her palm. She had coaxed in and under the weight of a threat, and yet he still declared that he would not willingly venture after Drizzt. Brisa, ambitious and powerful, and in the favor of Lolf, even if Haldor even if House de Warden and Matron Malice were not, came back without her prized whip and the fingers of one hand. Shall Axelin's band of rogues? Fianna offered, seeing her mother's dilemma. Brigandiath has been of value to us for many years. The mercenary leader would not agree, Malice replied, for she had tried to hire the soldier of fortune for the endeavor years before. Every member of Brigandalf abides by the decisions of Jalaxel, and all the wealth that we possess will not tempt him. I suspect that Jalaxel is under the strict orders of Matron Banre. Drizzt is our problem, and we are charged by the Spider Queen with correcting the problem. If you command me to go, I shall, Dinan spoke out. I fear only that I will disappoint you, Matron Mother. I do not feel Driz blades, or death itself if it is in service to you. Dinan had read his mother's dark mood well enough to know that she had no intention of sending him back out after Driz, and he thought himself wise in being so generous when it didn't cost him anything. I thank you, my son, Malice beamed at him. Dinan had to hold his snicker when he noticed all three of his sisters glaring at him. Now leave us, Malice continued condescendingly, stealing Dinan's moment. We have business that does not concern a male. Dinan bowed low and swept toward the door. His sisters took note of how easily Malice had stolen the proud spring from his step. I will remember your words, Malice said wryly, enjoying the power play and the silent applause. Dinan paused, his hand on the handle of the ornate door. One day you will prove your loyalty to me. Do not doubt. All five of the high priestesses laughed at Denon's back as he rushed out of the room. On the floor, Risen found himself in quite a dangerous dilemma. Malice had not had sent Denon away, saying in essence that males had no right to remain in the room. Yet Malice had not given Risen permission to move. He planted his feet and his fingers against the stone, ready to spring away in an instant. Are you still here? Malice shrieked at him. Risen bolted for the door. Hold! Malice cried at him, for her words once again empowered by a magical spell. Risen stopped suddenly, against his better judgment, and unable to resist the dwomer of Matron Malice's spell. I did not give you permission to move, Malice screamed behind him. But! Risen started per to protest. Take him! Malice commanded her two youngest daughters, and Vienna and Maya rushed over and roughly grabbed the Risen. Put him in a dungeon cell, Malice instructed them. Keep him alive. We will need him later. Fianna and Maya hauled the trembling male out of the anteroom. Risen did not dare offer any resistance. You have a plan, Shinane asked, said to Malice. As Sanafe, the matron mother of House Hunet, the newest warden, had learned to see purpose in every action. She knew the duties of a matron mother well and understood that Malice's outburst against Risen 
who had in fact done nothing wrong, was more of a calculated design than of true outrage. I agree with your assessment, Malice said to Brisa. Trist has gone beyond us. But by the words of Matron Banway herself, we must not fail, Brisa reminded her mother. Your seat on the ruling council must be strengthened at all cost. We shall not fail, Shanane said to Brisa, eyeing Malice all the while. Another wry look came across Malice's face as Shanane continued. In ten years of battle against House Durden, she said, I have come to understand the methods of Matron Malice. Your mother will find a way to catch Drizzt. She paused, noting her mother's widening smile. Or oh, has she perhaps already found a way? We shall see, Malice purred, her confidence growing in her formal rival's decree of respect. We shall see. More than two hundred commoners of House de Warden milled about the great chapel, excitedly exchanging rumors of the coming events. Commoners were rarely allowed in this sacred place, only on the high days of Loth or in the command, communal prayer before battle, yet there were no expectations among any of them impending war, and this was no holy day on the drow calendar. Dinan de Warden, also anxious and excited, moved about the crowd, settling dark elves into the rows of seats encircling the raised dais. Being only a male, Denon would not partake of the ceremony at the altar, and Matron Malice had told him nothing of her plans. From the instructions she had given him, though, Denon knew that the results of this day's events would prove critical to the future of his family. He was the chant leader. He would continually move throughout the assembly, leading the commoners in the appropriate verses to the Spider Queen. Denon had played this role often before, but this time Matron Malice had warned him that if a single voice called out incorrectly, Denon's life would be forfeit. Still another fact disturbed the elder boy of House Dorden. He normally accompanied his he was normally accompanied in his chapel duties by the other male noble of the house, Malice's present mate. Risen had not been seen since that day when the whole family had gathered in the anteroom. Dinan suspected that Risen's reign as patron soon would come to a crashing end. It was no secret that Matron Malice had given previous mates to Loth. When all the commoners were seated, magical red lights began to glow softly all about the room. The illumination increased gradually, allowing the gathered dark elves to comfortably shift their dual-purpose eyes from the infrared spectrum into the realm of light. Misty vapors rolled out from under the seats, hugged the floor, and rose in curling wisps. Dinan led the crowd in a low hum, the calling of Matron Malice. Malice appeared at the top of the room's domed ceiling, her arms outstretched in the folds of her spider-emblazoned black robes whipping about in an enchanted breeze. She descended slowly, turning complete circus to survey the galler gathering, and to let them look upon the splendor that was their matron mother. When Malice alighted on the central dais, Brisa and Shanane appeared on the ceiling, floating down in similar fashion. They landed and took their places. Brisa at the cloth-covered case off to the side of the spider-shaped sacrificial table and Shanane behind Matron Malice. Malice clapped her hands and the humming stopped abruptly. Eight braziers lining the central dais roared to life, their flames brightness less painful to the sensitive drow eyes in the red, mist-enshrouded glow. Enter, my daughters! Malice cried and all heads turned to the chapel's main doors. Vienna and Maya came in with Risen sluggish and apparently drugged, supported between them and a casket floating in the air behind them. Dinan, among others, thought this an odd arrangement. He could assume, he supposed, that Risen was to be sacrificed, but he had never heard of a coffin being brought into the ceremony. The younger Dorden daughters moved up to the central dais and quickly strapped Risen down to the sacrificial table. Shanane intercepted the floating casket and guided it to a position off to the side opposite Brisa. Call to the handmaiden, 
Malice cried, and Dinan immediately sent the gathering into the desired chant. The braziers roared higher. Malice and the other high priestesses prodded the crowd on with magically enhanced shouts of key words in the summoning. A sudden wind came up from nowhere. It seemed, and it whipped the mist into a frenzied dance. The flames of all eight braziers shot out in high lines over Malice and the others, joining in a furious burst above the center of the circular platform. The braziers puffed once in a unified explosion, throwing the last of their flames into the summoning, then burned low as the lines of fire rolled together in a gathered ball and became a singular pillar of flame. The commoners gasped but continued their chanting at the pill as the pillar rolled through the colors of the spectrum, gradually cooling until the flames were no more. In their place stood a tentacled creature, taller than a drow elf and resembling a half-melted candle with elongated, drooping facial features. All the crowd recognized the being, though few commoners had ever actually seen one before, except perhaps in illustrations in the clerical books. All in attendance knew well enough the importance of this gathering at that moment, if for no drow could possibly miss the significance of the presence of Oyoklo, a personal handmaiden of Loth. Greetings, handmaiden, Malice said loudly. Blessed is Diamond Neshesbernan for your presence. The Yaklo surveyed the gathering for a long while, surprised that House Dorden had issued such a summons. Matron Malice was not in the favor of Loth. Only the high priestesses felt the telepathic question. Why dare you call to me? To right our wrongs, Malice cried out aloud, drawing the whole of the gathering into the tense moment. To regain the favor of your mistress, the favor that is the only purpose of our existence. Malice looked pointedly at Dinan, and he began the correct song, the highest song of praise to the Spider Queen. I am pleased by your display, Matron Malice, came the Yoklo's thoughts, this time directly solely at malice but you know that this gathering does not aid in your peril this is but the beginning malice answered mentally confident that the handmaiden could read her every thought the matron took comfort in the knowledge for the faith she held that her desires to regain the favor of loth were sincere my youngest son has wronged the spider queen he must pay for his deed the other high priestesses, excluded from the telepathic conversation, joined in the song to Loth. Tree's Dorden lives, the Yoklo reminded Malice, and he is not in your custody. That shall soon be corrected, Malice promised. What do you desire of me? Zenkala! Malice cried aloud. The Yoklo swayed backward, momentarily stunned by the boldness of the request. Malice held her ground, determined that her plan would not fail. Around her, the other priestesses held their breath, fully realizing that the moment of triumph or disaster was upon them all. It is our highest gift, came the Yaklo's thoughts, given rarely even to matrons in the favor of the Spider Queen. And you, who have not pleased Loth, Dare to ask for Zinkala? It is right and fitting, Malice replied. Then aloud, needing the support of her family, she cried, Let my youngest son learn the folly of his ways and the power of the enemies he has made. Let my son witness the horrible glory of Loth revealed so that he will fall to his knees and beg forgiveness. Malice reverted to telepathic communication. Only then shall the spirit wraith drive a sword into his heart. The Yakula's eyes went blank as the creature fell into itself, seeking guidance from its home plane of existence. Many minutes, agonizing minutes to Major Mallets and all of the hushed gathering, passed before the Yakula's thoughts came back. Have you the corpse? Malice signaled to Maya and Vierna. 
and they rushed over to the casket, removed the stone lid. Didn't understood then that the box was not brought for risen, but was already occupied. An animated corpse crawled out of it and staggered over to Malice's side. It was badly decomposed, and many of its features had rotted away altogether, but Dinan and most of the others in the great chapel recognized it immediately. Zachnafian Dorden, the legendary weapon master. Zinkala, the yokel asked, so that the weapon master you gave to the Spider Queen might correct the wrongs of your youngest son? It is appropriate. Malice replied. She sensed that the Yoklo was pleased, as she had expected Zagnafian. Drizzt's tutor had helped to inspire the blasphemous attitudes that had ruined Drizzt. Loth, the Queen of Chaos, enjoyed ironies, and to have this same Zagnafian serve as executioner would inevitably please her. Zinkala requires great sacrifice, came the Yoklo's demands. The creature looked over to the spider-shaped table, where Risen lay oblivious to his surroundings. The Yokla seemed to frown. If such creatures could frown at the sight of a, such a pitiful sacrifice, the creature then turned back to Major Malice and read her thoughts. Do continue, the Yokla prompted, suddenly very interested. Malice lifted her arms, beginning yet another song to Loth. She motioned to Shanane, who walked to the case beside Brisa, and took out the ceremonial dagger, the most precious possession of House de Orden. Brisa flinched when she saw her newest sister handle the item. Its hilt, the body of a spider with eight blade-like legs reaching down under it. For centuries it had been Brisa's place to drive the ceremonial dagger into the hearts of gifts to the Spider Queen. Shanane smirked at the eldest daughter as she walked away. Sensing Brisa's anger, she joined Malice at the table beside Risen and moved the dagger out over the doomed patron's heart. Malice grabbed her hands to stop her. This time I must do it, Malice explained to Shinane's dismay. Shinane looked back over her shoulder to see Brisa returning her smirk tenfold. Malice waited until the song had ended, and the gathering remained absolutely silent as Malice alone began the proper chant. Talking bread to his breasts, she began, both her hands ringing over the hilt of the deadly instrument. A moment later, Malice's chant neared completion, and the dagger went up high. All the house tensed, awaiting the moment of ecstasy, the savage giving to this foul spider queen. The dagger came down, but Malice turned it abruptly to the side and drove it instead into the heart of Shinane, matron Senefe Hunet, her most hated rival. No! gasped Senefe, but the deed was done. Eight blade legs grasped at her heart. Senefe tried to speak, to cast a spell of healing on herself or a cure or curse upon Malice, but only blood came out of her mouth. Gasping at her last breaths, she fell forward, overrisen. All the house erupted in screams of shock and joy as Malice tore the dagger from under Santa Fe Hunet, and her enemy's heart along with it. Devious! Brisa screamed above the tumult, for even she had not known Malice's plans. Once again, Brisa was the eldest daughter of House Dorden, back in the position of honor that she so dearly craved. Devious, the Yokel echoed in Malice's mind. Know that we are pleased. Behind the gruesome scene, the animated corpse fell limply to the floor. Malice looked at the handmaiden and understood. Put Zachnafian on the table, quickly, she instructed her younger daughters. They scrambled about, roughly displacing Risen and Sinefe and getting Zachnafian's body in place. Brisa, too, went into motion, carefully lining up the many jaws of unguents that had been painstakingly prepared for this moment. Matron Malice's reputation as the finest salve-maker in the city would be put to the test in this effort. Malice looked at the Yoklo. Sinkala? she asked aloud. You have not regained the favor of Loth, came the telepathic reply, so powerfully that Malice was driven to her knees. 
Mouse clutched at her head, thinking it would explode from the building pressure. Gradually, the pain eased away, but you have pleased the spider queen this day, Mouse the Warden, the Yorkle explained, and it is agreed that your plans for your sacrilegious son are appropriate. Sin color is granted, but know it as your final chance, Matron Malice the Warden. Your greatest fears cannot begin to approach the truth of the consequences of failure. The yuckle disappeared in an explosive fireball that rocked the chapel of House de Warden. Those gathered only rose to a higher frenzy at the bared power of the evil deity, and Dinan led them again in a song of praise to love. Ten, ten days, came the final cry of the handmaiden, a voice so mighty that the lesser drow covered their ears and cowered on the floor. And so for ten, ten days, for seventy cycles of their bundle, the daily time clock of Menzel Brands and all of House Dewarden gathered in the great chapel, Dinan and Risen, leading the commoners in songs of the Spider Queen, while Malice and her daughters worked over Zagnafian's corpse with magical salves and combinations of powerful spells. The animation of a corpse was a simple spell for a priestess, but Zincala went far beyond that feat. Spirit Wraith, the undead result would be called. A zombie imbued with the skills of its former life and controlled by the matron mother appointed by Loth. It was the most precious of Loth's gifts, rarely asked for and even more rarely granted, for Zincala. Returning the spirit to the body was a risky practice indeed. Only through the sheer willpower of the enchanting priestesses were the undead beings' desired skills kept separate from the unwanted memories and emotions. The edge of consciousness and control was a fine line to walk, even considering the mental discipline required of a high priestess. Furthermore, Loth only granted Zinkala for the completion of a specific tasks, and stumbling from that fine line of discipline inevitably would result in failure. Loth was not merciful in the face of failure. Chapter 6. Blingdenstone Blingdenstone was different from anything that Drizzt had ever seen. When the Sverf Neblin guards ushered him in through the immense stone and iron doors, he expected a sight not unlike Menzel Branson, though on a lesser scale. His expectations could not have been further from the truth. While Menzel Branson sprawled in a single huge cavern, Blingdenstone was composed of a series of chambers interconnected by low tunnels. The largest cavern of the complex, just beyond the iron doors, was the first section Drizzt entered. The city guard was housed there, and the chamber had been shaped and designed solely for defense. Dozens of tiers and twice that number of smooth stairways rose and fell, so that while an attacker might be only ten feet from a defender, he would possibly have to climb down several levels and up several others to get close enough to strike. Low walls of perfectly fitted piled stone defiled, defined the walkways and weaved around higher, thicker walls that could keep an evading army bottled up in a painfully long time in the chamber's exposed sections. Scores of Svavnebli rushed about their posts to confirm the whispers that a drow elf had been brought in through the doors. They leered down at Driz from every perch, and he couldn't be certain if their expressions signified curiosity or outrage. In either case, the deep gnomes were certainly prepared against anything he might attempt. Every one of them clutched darts or heavy crossbows, cocked and ready. The swift nebly led Driz through the chamber, up as many stairs as they went down, always within the defined walkways, and always with several other deep gnome guards nearby. The path turned and dropped, rose up quickly, and cut back on itself many times, and the only way that Driz could keep his bearing was by watching the ceiling, which was visibly visible even from the lowest levels of the chamber. The drow smirked inwardly, but dared not show a smile at the thought of that even if no deep gnome soldiers were present, an invading army would likely spend hours trying to find its way through this single chamber. Down at the end of a low and narrow corridor, where the deep gnomes had to travel single file and Drizzt had to crouch with every step, the troop entered the city proper. 
wider but not nearly as long as the first room, this chamber too was tiered, though with far fewer levels, dozens of cave entrances lined the walls to all sides and fires burned in several areas, a rare sight in the Underdark, for fuel was not easily found. Blingdonstone was bright and warm by Underdark standards, but not uncomfortable in either case. Driz felt at ease, despite his obvious predicament, as he watched the Swift Nebuli go about their daily routines all around him. Curious gazes fell on him but did not linger, for the deep gnomes of Blindingstone were an industrious lot with hardly the time to stand idly and watch. <clears throat> Again, Drizzt was led down clearly defined roadways. These in the city proper were not as twisting and difficult as the ones in the entrance cavern. Here the roads rolled out smoothly and straight, and all apparently led to a large central stone building. The leader of the group escorting Drizzt rushed ahead to speak with two pick-wielding guards at this central structure. One of the guards bolted inside while the other held the iron door open for the patrol and its prisoner. Moving with urgency for the first time since they had entered the city, the Swift Nebuli rushed Drizzt through a series of bending corridors ending in a circular chamber no more than eight feet in diameter and with an uncomfortably low ceiling. The room was empty except for a single stone chair. As soon as he was placed in this, Drizzt understood his purpose. Iron shackles were built into the chair, and Drizzt was belted down tightly at every joint. The Swift Nebli were not overly gentle, but when Drizzt flinched as the chain around his waist doubled up and pinched him, one of the deep gnomes quickly released, then reset it, firmly but smoothly. They left Drizzt alone in the dark and empty room. The stone door closed with a dull thud of finality, and Driz could hear not a sound from beyond. The hours passed. Driz flexed his muscles, seeking some give in the tight shackles. One hand wiggled and pulled, and only the pain of the iron biting into his wrist alerted him to his actions. He was reverting to the hunter again, acting to survive and desiring only to escape. No! Driz yelled. He tensed every muscle and forced them back under his rational control. Had the hunter gained that much of a place? Drizzt had to come here willingly, and thus far the meeting had proceeded better than he had expected. This was not the time for desperate action, but was the hunter strong enough to overrule even Drizzt's rational decisions? Driz didn't find the time to answer those questions, for a second later the stone door banged open and a group of seven elderly, judging from the extraordinary number of wrinkles crossing their faces, Swift Nebly entered and fanned out around the stone chair. Driz recognized the apparent importance of this group, for where the guards had worn leather jacks set with mithril rings, these deep gnomes wore robes of fine material. They bustled about, inspecting Driz closely and chattering in their indecipherable tongue. Once Frithneblin held up Driz's house emblem, which had been taken from his neck purse, and uttered, Menjel Baranzen? Driz nodded as much as his iron collar would allow, eager to strike up some kind of communication with his captors. The deep gnomes had other intentions, however. They went back to their private and now even more excited conversation. It went on for many minutes, and Driz could tell by the inflections of their voices that a couple of the Swift Nebli were less than thrilled at having a Dark Elf prisoner from the city of their closest and most hated enemies. By the angry tone of their arguing, Driz almost expected one of them to turn at any moment and slice his throat. It didn't happen like that, of course. Deep gnomes were neither rash nor cruel creatures. One of the group did turn from the others and walk over to face Driz squarely. He asked in halting but unmistakably drow language, By the stones, Dark Elf, why have you come? Driz did not know how to answer the simple question. 
how could he even begin to explain his years of loneliness in the underdark or the decision to forsake his evil people and live in accordance with his principles? Friend, he replied simply, and then he shifted uncomfortably, thinking his response absurd and inadequate. Swerf Neblin, though, apparently thought otherwise. He scratched his beardless chin and considered the answer deeply. You... You came in to us from Mandelbranzen, he asked, his hawk-like nose crinkling as he uttered each word. I did, Driz replied, gaining confidence. The deep gnome tilted his head, waiting for Driz to extrapolate. I I left Mandelbranzen many years ago, Driz tried to explain. His eyes stared away into the past as he remembered the life he had deserted. It was never my home. Ah, but you lie, Dark Elf, the swift Neblin shrieked, holding up the emblem of House Dorden and missing the private connotations of Drizzt's words. I lived for many years in the city of the Drow, he replied quickly. I am Drizzt Dorden, once the second boy of House Dorden. He looked at the emblem the swift Neblin held, stamped with the insignia of his family, and tried to explain. Damn Neshazbernan. The deep known turned to his comrades, who began talking all at once. One of them nodded excitedly, apparently recognizing the drow house's ancient name, which surprised Drizzt. The deep gnome, who had been questioning Drizzt, tapped his fingers over his wrinkled lips, making annoying little smacking sounds like he was contemplating the interrogation's direction. By all of our information, House Dorden survives, he remarked casually, noting Driz's reactions. When Driz did not immediately despond, the deep gnome snapped at him accusingly. You are no rogue. How could the swift Neblin know that? Driz wondered. I'm a rogue by choice, he started to explain. Ah, dark elf, the dome deep gnome replied again calmly. You are here by choice. That much I can believe. But a rogue? By the stones, Dark Elf. The deep gnome's face contorted suddenly and fearfully. You are a spy. Then suddenly the deep gnome once again calmed and relaxed into a comfortable posture. Drizzt eyed him carefully. Was this fifth Neblin adapt at such abrupt attitude changes, designed to keep a prisoner off guard? Or was such a predictability the norm for his race? Driz struggled with it for a moment, trying to remember his one previous encounter with the deep gnomes, but then his questioner reached into an impossibly deep pocket in his thick robes and produced a familiar figurine. Tell me now, tell me true, Dark Elf, and spare yourself much torment. What is this? the deep gnome asked quietly. Drizzt felt his muscles twitching again. The hunter wanted to call Guinevere to bring the panther in so that it could tear these wrinkled old Nebly apart. One of them might hold the key to Driz's chains. Then he would be freed. Driz shook the thoughts from his head and drove the hunter out of his mind. He knew the desperation of this situation and had known it from the moment he had decided to come to Blingenstone. If the Nebly truly believed him a spy, they surely would execute him, even if they were not certain of his intent. Could they dare to keep him alive? It was not folly that to come here, Driz whispered under his breath, realizing the dilemma he had placed himself upon and upon the deep gnomes. The hunter tried to get back into his thoughts. A single word and the panther would appear. No! Driz cried for a second time that day, dismissing the darker side of himself. The deep gnomes jumped back, fearing that the drow was casting a spell. A dart nicked into Driz's chest, releasing a puff of gas on impact. Driz swooned as the gas filled his nostrils. He heard the swift nebuly shuffling about him, discussing his fate in their foreign tongue. He saw the form of one, only a shadow, close in on him and grasp his fingers, searching his hands for possible magical components. When Driz's thoughts and vision had at last cleared, all was as it had been. The onyx figurine came up before his eyes. What is this? The same deep gnome asked him again, this time a bit more insistently. A, a companion, Driz whispered. My only friend. Driz 
thought hard about his next actions for a long moment. He really couldn't blame the Swift Nebuli if they had killed him, and Guinevere should be more than a statuette adorning some unknowing deep gnome's mantle. Its name is Guinevere, Driz explained to the deep gnome. Call to the panther and it will come, an ally and friend. Keep it safe, for it is very precious and very powerful. The Swift Nebuli looked to the figurine and then back to Drizzt, curiously and cautiously. He handed the figurine to one of his companions and sent him out of the room with it, not trusting the drow. The drow had spoken truly, and the deep gnome did not doubt that he had. Drizzt had just given away the secret to a very valuable magical item. Even more startling, if Drizzt had spoken truly, he might have relinquished his single chance of escape. This swift Nevlin had lived for nearly two centuries and was as knowledgeable in the ways of the dark elves as any of his people. When a drow elf acted unpredictably, as this one surely had, it troubled the Swift Neblin deeply. Dark elves were cruel and evil by well-earned reputation, and when an individual drow fit that pa- usual pattern, he could be dealt with efficiently and without remorse. But what might the deep gnomes do with a drow who showed a measure of unexpected morals? The Swift Nebli went back to their private conversations, ignoring Drizzt altogether. Then they left, with the exception of the one who could speak the dark elf tongue. 